Hello and welcome to Nobody Meets Somebody. Podcast where two comedians who are currently nobody meet somebody who's famous. My name is Mary Picarazzi. And I am Tanvir Arora. And in today's podcast, we got to talk to Liz Mealy, American comedian, super funny. And it was a great, great conversation. She just released a special on YouTube. It's called Self Help Me. Uh, please check it out. The link is in the description. Our first one out of the gate, I don't think we could have done any better. This is amazing. Like, I was pretty happy and pumped by this episode. I was too. And in particular, the, I think halfway through the episode, you guys will see um, they, she shares a wonderful, wonderful story. It's probably <laughs> my favorite story I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, please check it out. Please do. It was, it was great. So I'm going to throw in some information on about her podcast. And of course, you definitely want to make sure you follow her. She's phenomenal on Instagram. Uh, her candidates are the best. All right. Well, hey, before we get to the episode, why don't we get into the segment that we call Nosy Neighbors? Nosy Neighbors. Yes. Let's do and, that. And Veer, you and I are both homeowners or somewhat homeowners. Uh, we have the Nextdoor app. Um, I don't know about you, but I love it for full hours of entertainment. It's absolutely the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to bring up something that happened the other day. Um, the other day there was, uh, it was like, I don't know, about midnight or so. There were helicopters circling my neighborhood. Like, okay. I, when I live outside the city limits, so there's no reason for that to be happening. So it was very odd. So I go outside. I look. I see a circling. Okay, no big deal. Go back in the house. Start looking on the app. There's six threads of people asking about the helicopter. <laughs> and then there's one person who I shall not say her name. But she continued to post repeatedly on every single thread, helicopter, period, do not flash lights, period, in their eyes, period. Forget the fact that the punctuation was atrocious. <laughs> Who in the world is flashing a flashlight or has something strong enough that can reach a helicopter? Oh, that's And why lovely. was this a grave concern? <laughs> you know, you know what? I, what I would do probably like today, tomorrow, just uh, randomly start a trend. Hey, did you guys see those helicopters? I'm, I'm hearing those helicopters. <laughs> see what happens. See who reacts. I am pretty sure there would be at least one person in the neighborhood who'd be like, "Yes, I heard it too." <laughs> well, what's funny is that we're talking about it in one area of the neighborhood, and then somebody was reporting one on the other side, and there was only one helicopter. Like. It's, it's pretty quiet in my neighborhood, so you would hear two helicopters at mid. Yeah, people went a little crazy. It's probably the same people who are hoarding toilet paper right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I need some. If you get some, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had, um, I've been I've been following the neighborhood, uh, next door app, but also the Ring app, and I don't know if it's my neighborhood. It probably happens everywhere, but we have been having a lot of package thefts. Oh. And here's the thing. Um, this one particular person, she keeps posting every now and then, and uh, it's usually the next morning, and she's like, there was the same same guy at about 3 a.m. who comes to our driveway and tries to look for something. And it's usually around that time at 3, 3 a.m. Um, I don't know if they eat stole anything or he just wants to like their driver for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, one, they haven't caught him. And if it's if he's been consistent, if he's, it's around 3, 3 a.m. thing. I know you, you don't want to disturb your sleep, but yeah. if you've found a pattern, 
So he's a driveway visitor. He doesn't do anything, but he's a driveway he visitor. Yeah. yeah. You know, long back they had those uh, doorbell liquors. He doesn't even do that. He just probably <laughs> likes their driveway. I don't know. <laughs> the feng shui is perfect for that spot right there for him. <laughs> but I mean, how hard is it to just set an alarm for like 2.45 and just be ready for that guy? <laughs> like, do it. Well, that's or probably else. what he's doing. That's probably what he's doing to be out there by 3 o'clock. <laughs> Oh, man. he's like, guys, I gotta, I gotta keep my time. They're gonna be disappointed if they don't see me on their camera. That's funny. Maybe he thinks he's got fans. Is he an open micer? I might know him. Oh, uh, maybe. I didn't share the video yet. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. All right, I think we're ready for this episode. Yes, let's dive into it, and you guys have fun. And by all means, please leave your comments in the comments below. Let us know what you thought, what we could do better, and uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Hi, Liz. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's phenomenal. Tanvir? Hello. Are you okay. Are you? I am there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Liz, there is so much to talk about and unpack with you. Um, I kind of want to just start off with your beginnings. You started doing comedy at 15, 16. Why? What made you yeah. think of doing that? <laughs> this feels aggressive. Um <laughs> I, you know, you know, it's so weird is like, as I get older, sometimes I just like, I know why I started. I just don't know, like, I don't know where the gumption really came from that I could, could do it. Like I still suffer from like low self-esteem. So I'm not sure where like that, uh, I don't know, uh, ability to just go out and do something came from, but I, I discovered stand up. I don't know, maybe around like 13, 14 and immediately was like drawn to it. Like I, I, always was drawn to comedies and I wanted, you know, I grew up in the nineties. So Sandra Bullock was very much like Pratt Falls and she was like, you know, kind of more, more silly. Now she's just Academy Awards and whatever else she does. Um, but before she was like a witch and things, I don't know, but I just wanted to be Sandra Bullock. And, but it's funny how when you want something, even as truly a kid, I still felt a disconnect. Like I was like, I want to be seen as funny, but I really don't care about acting. And then when I saw stand up for the first time, probably like HBO, Comedy Central, whatever my parents had, it just was like immediately validating. I was just like, oh, I get to speak my mind. Um, I'm the only person that's getting attention, which I'm one of five kids. So that was very important to me. And I was not getting it. Um, and it was a travesty. And then I'm dyslexic. So I was always writing and I was really into writing, but I was scared for people to see my writing because it was all, you know, garbage and jobbly and, you know, issues with it. So this was like the thing where I get to express myself and people get to hear my writing without physically seeing it. So I started honestly like writing jokes and showing them to my friends in the hallways in high school. And they would like tell me which ones they thought were the funniest. And I started to kind of put together a five minute set. And then my best friend was working at a toy store in town and the manager had dropped out of high school and became a comic. And keep in mind, now I know he'd been doing it for a year and he was an open micer. But in my mind, I was like, he does it. Oh my God, I'm talking to a comedian. And he would give me notes, which again, is just super silly that this, you know, this guy that was like two, three years older than me was giving me comedy notes. And I was like, well, this is, he's making it better. Um, but it, it, it was enough validation that I could do it and that I didn't have to wait. And um, I started performing. I did my first show when I was 16 and I started performing every weekend um, until I think I was like 17. And then I started performing like four or five days a week. And then more so when I went to college and I moved to New York. Wow, that's, 
That's, that's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, I don't know if I would want my 15-year-old daughter doing that. But, uh, <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, I was going to New York City the year after 9-11, and I remember this so clearly. Like, my parents let me do it, but I always had to have a parental chaperone. So either they had to come or one of my friends had to come. And I was doing a lot of bringer shows where you have to bring five people to get stage yeah. time. And so I didn't want my parents to see me do stand up. And this is how nice my parents are. They would come and I wouldn't let them see me. So they would take a train for an hour and a half, oh my God. sit and read a book. <laughs> they would sit and read a book in Starbucks for two hours. And then if I had a good gig, I was like in a good mood and I was on the train and I was hanging out with them, my friends. If I was in a bad mood, I was like, don't talk to me, dad. Like I was like, <laughs> like a super bitch. But I would get, I would lie to them too. Like I, I went to the city all the time without a parental figure, but like, I was so like, they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're talking about. And they're so overbearing and they were in some aspects, but like I was a 16 year, I'm not even five one. I was a 16 year old, tiny girl doing stand up late at night in comedy clubs a year after 9-11. And I was like, God, my parents are so overbearing. Not <laughs> <laughs> perspective at that point. My, mom's, my mom is still scared of New York City. And I was just like, Mom, it's it's almost like a shopping mall. Like, I don't even know what to tell you. But well, those I, are dangerous now. Yeah, no, the malls are dangerous. That's a very good point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm very fortunate that my parents to this day are still very supportive. Like they had their boundaries, but looking back, I now kind of see that they weren't as harsh as some of my peers that were like, my parents still don't know I do stand up or they're still disappointed. Mm -hmm. I do stand up like Maria's Maria is Egyptian and our parents are like from Egypt and they're still like, when are you going to get married and get a job? And she's like, I'm in my late thirties. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you started, and we read a little bit, of, we, we stopped you, actually. We did stop oh, you. Yeah, right. okay. <laughs> um, so we read somewhere that you sent, like, 50 emails to comedians, like, 50 different people, and you got a reply from, like, one or two of them. Yeah. How did that feel? And who were those two people? And what, so, what did that lead to, though? So, so my dad, my dad, uh, so both my parents are veterinarians, and they, um, they, did at the time they just sold it, but they had animal hospitals. They had two animal hospitals. And my dad is such a, even though they're veterinarians, my dad is such a business person. He started his own animal hospital and he, it's funny. I think the advantage I've, I've had in my career and with helping my friends is that I come from a creative side, but I also come from a business side. So mm -hmm. when I told my dad, I wanted to be a comic when I was 15 and I broke the news to them, by the way, like like I was going to be the vet in the family and I was going to take over the business. And when I discovered stand up, I was like, Fuck that. I like, I like to pet animals. I don't want to cuddle. I just, I thought being a vet is like you cuddle them. So I like broke the new, I like came out the way, like, uh, like right. somebody that's coming out as gay. I like came out as a comedian to my parents. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to have a, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a vet. I'm going to be a comic. And I think it was as devastating to them. But wow. my, my dad, my dad has been fighting it up until about, I would say like three years ago, like again, supportive, but it was always just like, here's another way you could make money, like real money. Um, and now that I'm like self-sufficient in a way that he feels is safe, like now that if I quit this job, I would have to start over and make less money. My dad's like, okay, maybe this was the right path. <laughs> um, not anymore now that I don't have a job with COVID. But um, so basically my dad told me um, the best way to get good at something is to learn from people already being successful at it. And he's like, you should write to everybody that you admire 
and get their advice. So I spent, I remember this every day after school, we had one computer in the, in the living room and I would come home and I would start researching. This is, I think this is 2001. Um, I would start researching emails, physical addresses, managers' addresses, anything so that I could write. Early stalking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was like harder. It was like way harder. This is before social media. So, so, you know, I would write, you know, okay, I want to write to Eddie Murphy, and I would go on these weird like celebrity sites trying to find his address or find an email or for whatever. And so I spent months building up this to every every comic that I liked from people that weren't famous yet, like a Jim Gaffigan, who was like, he just had been in Comedy Central, but nobody knew who he was, to, um, you know, I th- think like Wanda Sykes, Dave Chappelle, um, Richard Pryor was still alive, you know, stuff like that. Right. So I wrote to everybody. A couple of people clearly didn't read my letters because I would just get signed headshots. So I got like a sign. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was so pissed. I was like, I don't want your fucking headshot. I want like, I want to be you and you need to give me advice. So I think Kevin James gave me like a signed headshot. And I think Janine Garofalo gave me a signed headshot. But I was like, so like, I almost like it was like a little kid. And I was like, what is this, right. an advertisement? And I like threw it out. <laughs> But the two people that got back to me was uh, Judd Apatow. And this was like pre-40-year-old virgin Judd Apatow. It was post-Freaks and Geeks and I think Undeclared was on. His email was on his website. That's how, that's where you can tell, you know what I mean? I I don't know if he still did stand-up, but I had listened to interviews and had known Mm -hmm. he'd done stand-up. And I loved Freaks and Geeks um, and Undeclared. So I wrote to him for advice and he emailed me like the next day, like right back. And it wasn't anything that would, was like mind blowing. It was like stay in school, but I kept the email and I was grateful he got back to me and I've now met him once and at the cellar and I haven't built up the courage to be like, I wrote to you when I was 15. Um, <laughs> Cause I just, I are, I still look like I'm a child and I don't like, and there's tons of people know who I am, but there is something about the way I look. And if you don't know, I'm a comic and I'm just like, ah, you're my hero. Um, and they're like trying to eat chicken wings. I just, I'm not ready to be that person. And then, uh, George Carlin, uh, called me cause my dad made me write a business letter. So, you know, for any youngins that don't know a business letter, it's your name, your address, yeah. your phone number, your email, then, yeah. you know, dear Mr. Carlin, blah, 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 Liz Mealy. And then I signed it. And I think I put my phone number again. It was, and it's actually probably one of the smartest things I've ever done. And I continue to do it because you just, you start to realize, um, it's easier for people to get back to you the way they want to get back to you. And even now, like I have comics that like on Instagram will ask my advice and because I'm dyslexic and it takes me so long to write back to them, I'll just send them voice messages. So I'll just be like, Hey, you know, the best way is to start with an open mic and da da da. And they're like, Oh, thank you for the time. And I'm like, this takes two minutes. Typing would have been half a day and I would have, you know, and then I, it still would have had mistakes in it. So he called and, um, probably talked to him for like 10 minutes, gave me a bunch of very rudimentary advice about starting standup. But you know, in my mind, I'm 15. He's a legend. He called me. I'm like freaking out. Um, and I wrote everything down right afterwards. Cause I have a bad memory. So I have a little card, um, with like literally like notes from George Carlin. And then he told me, um, I could write to him anytime. And then maybe like a week later, a signed headshot came in the mail and it said, Liz, go do it. Cause I had, it was, I was 15. Right. I hadn't done stand up yet. Um, signed George Carlin and that's framed still on my desk. Wow. And then, uh, every three months I would write to him. So like when I started doing stand up, I had told him and I wrote to him and I think I asked a couple of different things and he would write back like on a postcard or who'd write back on something. And then 
He gave me free tickets. Maybe when I was 17, like free tickets, me and my girlfriends went to New Brunswick. I was in Jersey. So we went to see him in New Brunswick. Um, and then I was written up in the New Yorker when I was 18 and I mailed him a copy because I had mentioned that I had talked to him in it and he read it and he called me to be like, what a great article. You're in the New Yorker. I was like, I'm in the New Yorker. Um, so I must have talked to him on the phone maybe like three or four times. Um, and then um, I met him at a book signing. He sent me a book and signed it another time. And then I had lunch with him when I was 19 he was, he was like in between gigs and he was staying in a hotel and we met in the lobby. And like my biggest thing at that point is I was 19. I had been doing stand up for three years and I just couldn't figure out how to get my jokes to connect. Now I know it's like you need enough material to make them seamless. But in my mind, I was like, I have 10 minutes. Why don't they flow like yours flow? Um, I was like, I was like, teach me how to be a genius. Um, now I'm like, what's your master class look like? Um, but this is what. This is what, 2005, I think. So sat in the lobby and he had a Mac and he basically showed me how to organize, which it was before I was ready to organize my jokes, but it's still something I think about um, is like how to organize my jokes. And I have a picture from that, like that meeting. I, my dad gave me his camera. He's like, this is a moment you need like a real camera. So I like literally had to get like somebody in the lobby. I was like, can you take a picture? My dad said this is important. Um, but yeah, it, and I... I think the la and then I at that point we started emailing and the last email I sent to him um it was 2 days before I was on live at Gotham on Comedy Central it was going to be my first TV appearance and I sent him an email to be like hey I'm going to be on Comedy Central and he's like this is awesome I'll, I'll make sure I watch it and then he died <laughs> he like yeah. he like he I think he oh I think I sent him that week and then 2 days before it aired he died and he was in the hospital did not tell me um uh, and it was like I don't know it was it was just very it's funny because there's a few people at the time that knew about, I guess you would call it like almost like a mentorship, but I remember people saying like, I'm sorry you lost your friend and feeling like I wasn't allowed to use that word. I don't know. It's my, my parents as my, my parents as business owners clearly are friendly with their staff and have gone to weddings and whatever. And I remember my mom was just like, somebody that works for you is never a friend. And I was like, well, that's sad. And she goes, no, I care about them and I will do anything for them. But unfortunately the power dynamics make it hard for people to be friends. And I guess in some ways I always kind of felt that even though I didn't work for him, there was still like, I'm an open micer and he's a legend. And who am I to say that he cares about me the same way I do, which is, isn't that what friendship is? It's an equal amount of caring. Right. Um, all that said, I mean, he's probably had one of the biggest impacts in my life, not just comedically, but just how he treated me. And I was raised to be a kind person and, and do my best to give back to people. But he, I think in a lot of ways, he taught me that there's kind of never an excuse not to be there for people. Like, you know, I'm sure he had the luxury of he didn't have to prove himself anymore and he wasn't still grinding in his 70s, but he could have very, very easily blown me off and he never did. And I there's tons of stories uh, similar to mine out there because that's how he treated everybody. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. Yeah. I don't. I still don't know how to digest it. So many years later, I would hate to be your next mentor. <laughs> yeah, I know. Shoes. Well, one of the things that you're super passionate about is food. Um, Tanvir and I are big food people. Um, uh, with the quarantine kind of going on, what has been like your go-to comfort food to kind of like de-stress you, or you know, just kind of get your mind off of things? 
Oh, um, <laughs> ice, ice, ice cream. That answers it actually. <laughs> Yeah, am I'm I like, my only person that's got comfort food? I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's I, it's just um, it, I don't eat well, so it's all comfort food. It's all embarrassing. <laughs> um, you know what I discovered? So I've I grew up on microwavable meals, which is probably the reason I have stomach issues. And then I kind of swore off microwaves. I was like, they're evil. I don't get the. I don't understand how they work, and they're zapping nutrients out. I don't know, but I stopped using them for like eight years. And then the pandemic happened, which technically I have more time to make stuff, but I just got sad and I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I would just kind of be sad and then I'd be like, I'm hungry. And so I discovered these, you could cook them, but I refuse to, uh, these microwavable tamales that you get at Trader Joe's. <laughs> and I'm, I've been eating them every day and I'm still excited. Like every day, and they're actually out of stock because the beef ones, I guess they I guess they distributors had a fight with the beef people and now they're really hard to get. They're like gold to me now where like I look, I'm like looking through chicken ones and I'm like, fuck these chicken ones. I want a beef one. It was the cows. They refused to give it up. So yeah, no. And it's like, come on, man, we're all hurting right now. Do your part. Um, but I have to say they make me happy. Like at lunchtime is very exciting for me. Cause I'm like beef to Molly. Like, yeah. <laughs> so microwave is back now. You use the microwaves again. Yeah, just exclusively for beef tamales. And it's it's two minutes to steam them in a microwave or like 30 minutes. And it's just like, you know which one I'm going to choose. I can't. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, about food, like uh, I think Mary and I, we probably similar. Like when we go on stage, we don't eat or drink. Like I don't drink at all anyways. But before going, going for a show, we don't we don't really eat. Do you eat or drink before a show or does it matter anymore or you just like, yeah. You know, what's so weird about that is um, I didn't really have a preference. I try not to eat too much, but it, it kind of doesn't matter. I don't really move on stage. It's not like I'm doing backflips and I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. Um, that's I right. Do, you don't move that much. Yeah. yeah I'm not a mover. So yeah. um, that's, that makes it not much of a problem. I drink a lot of water, but I think it's like a, I've started to realize that it's probably anxiety that's making me drink the water and like worrying mm -hmm. about my throat being clear. I try not to drink any, I'm, I try not to have anything with bubbles, like anything carbonated. And I try not to eat anything. Um, some stuff just makes me have like saliva, like chocolate. Um, uh, I'm trying to think like chips are okay, but like Something that I, and this might just exclusively be for me, but anything that's going to cause like a weird amount of saliva in my mouth. So for some reason, like anything carbonated and anything that makes me, I guess, salivate, I don't, these aren't real words to me. <laughs> so those I, I, I kind of avoid, but I have to eat something. My boyfriend pointed this out like eight months ago and it blew my mind. He goes, you fumble a lot more when you're hungry. And I go, is that true? How do you know that? And then I started to pay attention and he's right. When I'm hungry, I'm just like a little disoriented, not disoriented, but I like, I stumble over my words a lot more. So when I've had something within like an hour or a half hour performing, I'm just a little more with it. So I think just being a small person, a person that doesn't even eat a lot in general, I need to have like a snack, but I can't have it like, like I can't have it 10 minutes before I go on stage or my mouth gets like, I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's just sort of a, for me, it's just like, if I drink too much water, then I just, I get the anxiety of like, I just have to go to the bathroom every single second until yeah. I get on stage. And then like I'm you good. can, of course, like between, in between yourself, like, uh, hold on guys. I got to use the rest. Yeah, yeah, right right back. <laughs> That's the yeah, goal right is back. to be famous enough to be like, pause. <laughs> nice. Nice. I have a tiny bladder. 
So when you hear about like Chappelle or like Dane Cook doing these like six hour shows, I'm like, do they have like giant bladders? Like a part of me is like, break down how that's Those working. I yeah, I guess. And, and they're yeah. actively, it's like Chappelle will be actively drinking like tequila shots. And I'm like, how do you not have to go to the bathroom? Yeah, that's my, people are just like, how do you be funny for that long? I'm like, how do you keep all that urine inside you? <laughs> that's why they are actually using the restroom. No one realizes it. That's, that's, that's their TED talk. I'm telling you. <laughs> It's about keeping liquids inside your body. It's a real good thing. Oh, well, one that, way or another. <laughs> that, that actually reminds me, and this has happened, by the way, with me. Have you ever been on stage and you have had an upset stomach? Like, you really have to use the red. What have you done? You have to be like, I'll be back in two minutes? or just... So this, this is my, my probably most professional story. I was, doing, uh, I was doing a run in Pakistan. So I was doing, I think, four nights in Karachi. and. I, I already kind of have stomach issues. So I remember Umar, who's the booker, he goes, Hey, people have gotten, I don't know if there's another word for it, but like deli belly, like they've gotten like kind of food poisoning. You need to be careful. So a couple of my friends that are journalists kind of told me what to avoid. So I don't get sick when I'm there. So, you know, I'm not having any salads. I'm eating everything that's cooked, blah, blah, blah. Felt fine the first day. Then second day, I don't know if it was like ice cubes or whatever, but it's like, and we, the first day we were there, we did like open mics just to kind of assimilate, but the like real paid gigs were going to be the next three nights. So it's the second night and my stomach starts to be a little queasy, weird. And I tell Umar, I go, yo, it might just be my shitty stomach. I don't know if it's like food poisoning yet. And he goes, okay, I'm going to order the drugs now just in case. Cause he's had, I was like the fifth person to do this tour and every, at least one person every time has gotten sick. So, okay. So I'm like, okay, okay. And like, by the time we get to the venue, my stomach's real, like, I have like a sharp pain in my stomach, but I don't feel like, I don't feel anything going this way or that way. Okay. <laughs> so, so I just kind of, and I've performed with a stomach ache before. I'm like, I'm a professional. I can do this. And my set is a half hour long. So I'm on stage and usually like you've, you know, you've performed with a stuffy nose, like the adrenaline endorphins kind of almost clear up your sinuses yeah. and you'll like feel better while you're on stage. And then, you know, 10 minutes after you get on stage, you're, you're like, you know, a uh, faucet. So I start, so the whole time my stomach has like, it, it never feels good. It just feels like someone's stabbing it, but I feel fine. And then like five minutes before I'm done, I start to get that, like, it's like a lot of saliva. Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel good. And this is the weird thing is like you're all this is happening while you're telling your jokes. So you're not really fully processing your thoughts. But I know I had a thought that was like, I don't know if water is a good idea. So I never I was getting like this cotton mouth. But I was like, I'm not going to drink water for some reason, because I just feel like it's not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So now I'm on my last joke. And my brain is like, we're going to vomit. 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 Like every time I say a word, I'm like, Oh, my God, we're going to vomit. <laughs> So I tell my punchline, I had two tags after this punchline and I was like, we cannot tell tags. So I tell my oh. punchline, I go, thank you so much. I shake you more's hand. I get off stage. I look at a kid and I go, where's the bathroom? He doesn't speak English. And so now I'm like in this, like, ah, ah. I was like, bathroom, he's staring at me. I was like, I don't have time for this. So I run down this long corridor. I go to where the kind of green room is. I don't see anything. And I hadn't gone to the bathroom before. And then I find the room. I projectilely vomit. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I would say about two thirds made it in around the toilet and the rest was like in my hair and on my shirt. And I was like, Ugh. and this is why, while um, Tom, I was doing it with Tom Cotter. So now Tom Cotter's on stage. So I'm like, Oh, so I finished vomiting. 
I'm not okay. I'm like trying to get it out of my hair and off my shirt. Umar comes in and I go, Umar, I'm not okay. And he's like, okay. He was like, can you wait until, you know, we get to the hotel? And there was supposed to be like an after party every night. I was like, there will be no partying. (laughs) Um, We will not be partying. So there's this like, and you know, no offense to Pakistan, but like the couch in the green room, it looks like they picked it up off the side of the road. I mean, it's like a type, it's like one of the dirtiest couches I've ever seen on. And this is how sick I was. My face was in the couch. Like I was in the fetal position, face in the couch, holding myself because I was in so much pain. And then Umar and his driver take me back to the hotel. I'm in the back seat. And my favorite part about Pakistan is like, and I noticed this like day one, um, stop signs or red lights are a suggestion. That's not, they don't do that. That's not for them. Yeah. So, you have India yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> in my, so like when we'd be driving before, I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Like, I was like, this is how I die. And then when I was sick, I was like, I'm glad they don't stop. Like, this is great. <laughs> Stopping is not, I don't even care if I die now. So then we get to the hotel and I remember Umar goes, um, do you want me to come up with you? And I was like, no, yes, yes, I do. I do. (laughs) And so he gets, we get into the hotel and I'm like, I try to be a friendly person, but when I'm uncomfortable, like I'm sure you can really like PMS, like don't talk to me for seven days. Um, but like, so I go, I look at Umar and I go, Hey, I'm not okay. And I'm going to run to my room. And he's like, okay. So I give him my bag. The elevator doors open. I run to my room. I scan and I just start vomiting in the, in the toilet. He comes in, he's holding my bag and he's just watching. And I was like, Umar, leave. What are we doing? Like, I don't need to, you're not my mom. I don't need you to watch me. So now I'm like yelling at Umar. And then I'm sad because I just yelled at like, you know, the booker and my friend now. And then I just spent um, a day and a half on the floor of a, like, the to- like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything in all directions. Um, oh. I finally felt better after about a day and a half. I did all the shows, but I was like, I was a mess. Like I stayed you know, I'm in Pakistan. I want to kind of see things. And I spent a full day. I didn't eat anything for the, the rest of the trip. Umar's mom made me some like very like, like, um, unflavorful food to help my stomach. But I'm at a lunch where everybody's getting to have like all this cuisine, <laughs> and I'm eating like plain rice. But that's probably like the sickest I've ever been and the most professional because I still did my time. And then I still did my time every single night. And it was probably the sickest I've ever been as an adult. Thank you wow. for sharing that story. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that, yeah, very yeah. graphic. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a warning on it. We'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. And here are, here are some stool sayings. <laughs> I feel like I've ruined the podcast. Um, <laughs> no, this you, is mentioned great running. you mentioned running, which is actually our with the next topic we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Maybe not in that topic, but uh, you've been featured in Runner's World. You are an avid runner. You've done 12 marathons. That's ridiculous because I have asthma and I don't run that well. Um, so I'm a little bit in awe of you, slightly jelly, but, um, what is your favorite overall workout that like, do you like to do as kind of like your go-to workout? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of changed over time. Um, I still run. It's still important to me. I'm not in the shape I was before. Cause I was running, um, uh, I was running a marathon, at least one marathon every year. There was like one year I ran three, but for the most part I was running a marathon every year. And I stopped doing that. I was just running half marathons once a year or twice a year with a friend. And then I actually, I'm now up to 13. I ran, uh, uh, what I hope will be my last marathon, uh, last year I did it with, uh, I don't know if you know, Seton Smith. Um, but he's, uh, we both ran it for charity, um, uh, a cancer charity via New York comedy club. Um, both of us did not train very well. So it was like, it was a lot of us like, you got this buddy. No, you got this buddy. Um, uh, but I, I mean, running is always going to be kind of my go-to. I like doing stairs. Like it sounds really silly, but like 
when it rains, when it's snowing, when I don't feel like working out, I'll run up and down the stairs in my building or um, I'm about three fourths of a mile from the park and I'll run to the park and then I'll just do stairs like 10 times. Cause in my mind, stairs, even at my peak shape have never been easy. And you can kind of do like a 10 to 20 minute workout, just going up and down and like, feel like you really did something and you don't have to do it for an hour. Even walking, like my my little sister has always been struggling with her weight. And I'd be like, dude, just walk upstairs 10 times. Your calves will be on fire. Like it's just, <laughs> and it's like quick. Like, you know, you can either walk five miles or you can walk up and down stairs 10 times. And it just feels like, I don't know, it, it, to me, that's such a quick, easy work. I know, of course, you have to have knees that don't hate you. And weirdly enough, <laughs> going down hurts more than going up when it comes to knee problems. Um, I started doing CrossFit again. I did it years ago. Um, my little brother lived with me for a bit and we got into that. Um, and then I stopped cause I hurt my back, but I started doing it a year ago. Um, now you can't say CrossFit cause they're racist, but yeah. Did you with your mom? Um, my mom, my, my older sister and my mom have been doing it for like 10 years. My mom's now like a competitive power lifter, uh, by the way, she's like a badass. Um, uh, but she got into it and then my older sister got into, it, or actually maybe my older sister, then my mom, I don't know, but they've been like pretty diligent and did it forever. And my older sister still does it. My brother and my dad did it for a little while, but now they both don't do it. And then, um, I, I re got into it like a year ago and I like it. I'm not a, I honestly like cardio better than I like weightlifting. And, um, I'm really short and we're like very like stocky Italians. So I very quickly, um, get like, it's funny. I have a roommate that's very skinny and he can't, he can't gain weight and he can't put on muscle. And I'm like the opposite. Like it takes me nothing to gain weight. And I very easily put on muscle, but like as a comedian, I don't want to shame lesbians, but I don't also don't want to look <laughs> like one. And um, I just very easily, like my personality, my job, and then my physique very much gives the wrong impression uh, if I bulk up too much. So I, I weirdly don't want to be too buff, but I can very easily put, like I did gym. I want to be a gymnast again is what I'm trying to say. Like that's, go back to age three to 14. <laughs> yes, I do. Like I felt I liked working out the most. Um, and I working out was fun. I've actually, um, do you guys watch queer eye? Yes. Watch couple. Yeah. So John, John Van Ness, he did like an episode, I don't know, like a season or two ago with a figure skater, got really into that and then got into gymnastics. We're about the same age. Um, he's in his mid thirties too. And he's not like stick skinny or like super muscular, but he's doing backflips. And I was like, I kind of convinced myself I was too old to flip. And I was like, I could probably like save up and get like a personal trainer and get my back handspring back. Like that would be ideal. I gave you a very long-winded non-answer, but um. no. <laughs> I feel like we learned so much more about you. You just want to recapture your youth again. Like I feel that deeply. Yeah, yeah. I just want to flip. I was so much happier when I could do a back handspring. <laughs> I'm still stuck onto the, the vomit story. I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the most beautiful one I, I can get over. Why, thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you for appreciating. I'm gonna have dreams about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that feels like a nightmare, but yes. Uh, well, we definitely want to get into uh, your special, your new special that's out. Yeah. It came out. It came out. Um, it's self-produced. Yeah. Uh, I know your sister did the music. How was that kind of working with your sister and kind of having that family tie? And how difficult was it to produce your own special? Um, uh, so Emily, uh, my sister Emily, her stage name is uh, Ella, Ella I always 
I'm too dyslexic for my sister's stage name, but Elmy, she, um, so it's funny. I actually, her husband is a music producer and I hired him to make a song. Um, it just didn't fit. It was a great song, but it didn't fit. So then I was like, and I wanted, I wanted my sister's voice or something she did to be a part of it. So they, my brother, uh, my brother-in-law, my sister like made a song. I was like, I'm not in love with it. I like it, but I don't think it's right. So then I just went through my sister's old songs in her catalog. And I picked this song out cause it's sad. It's called, it's called what to do sad song. And I was like, my special is kind of sad. Um, I always say I tell like sad jokes, um, which I feel like is like my own made up, uh, uh, structured genre. <laughs> yeah. I tell cat jokes and sad jokes. Um, but, uh, there's uh, somebody left a comment days ago that was just like, yeah, I don't think I'm in the mood for sad jokes. And I was like, that's valid. I was like, that's a valid, uh, yeah. so I, I don't even consider that a hate comment. I was like, that's just a valid feeling. And I, I see you, I see you, I hear you. Um, I respect you and your opinion. Um, so, so with Emily, I had heard the song. I liked it. I asked if I could use it. Um, and then, um, she had she hadn't released it yet, so it was about her getting stuff in order to release it because she's she's gonna put out like an LP at some point, and I wanted her, I kind of pushed her along a little bit so I could use it. But I'm really glad I did. It was a song that she actually kind of wasn't sure about anymore, and I kind of made her like polish it up and make it shiny for my special, and it's gotten lots of love. And I just she's written the theme song for an animated web series I did years ago. Um, uh, we had a, a, a variety show, a live, when she lived, she lives in LA now, but when she lived in New York, we did a monthly variety show called the Mealy Sisters Variety Show. And she would close out every show with her band. Um, so I've collaborated with her a bunch and we love and fight like sisters. It's, you know, it's a lot of like, I love you, but fuck off. Um, <laughs> and so uh, she's my best friend. So it's, it's, it was good. And then self-producing, I, it was really hard. It was really hard. And it was, um, I was really close to, um, getting one, like getting my own special and they deliberated for like four months before they told me I wasn't going to have it. So it was like my, my hour was ready. Then I auditioned kind of for this hour special and I thought I was going to get it because everybody else, all my other friends were getting rejected and they deliberated with me the longest. And when I found out, I think it was February of 2019, that I wasn't getting it. It was just kind of like, I'm so fucking tired. Like I've self-produced my own albums and this is going to be a lot more money and a lot more energy. And I, there's so much more I need to learn to do it. And it's going to be just hard. And so I think there was a little bit of like resentment that I had to, cause I knew I was going to, I, I was happy with this material and I didn't want to make a lateral move. And I noticed with, um, my Instagram and my YouTube kind of popping off and making a lot of fans that way, that video, um, resonates with people more, but also I've toured overseas a lot more. So like Europe and Asia, they, they, they watch comedy more than they listen to it. I didn't think I realized until I started touring overseas, how much, um, albums and listening to comedy, even listening to podcasts, to be honest, is very, um, American and, you know, podcasts are slowly kind of taking off and they exist there, but this, every comic you've ever met having a podcast is not truly <laughs> what's going on in Europe. Um, so it's weird that like specials became more of a thing the last five years. I think Netflix really took it to a next level. And then I think just in general, as I built a larger fan base overseas, um, if I really wanted to continue to build that fan base, it had to be visual. So it kind of felt like a non-choice. I could have made another album or I can really push myself, make a special. And 
what I've learned um, over time, that same, you know, that kind of dress for the job you want, not the job you yeah. have. I've really started to notice, produce, show people what you're capable of. If you want to be an actress and you feel like people are putting you in the wrong role, fucking go make a sketch or make something where you're the role that you think you should be in. Um, I feel like it was so important for this to visually look professional, even if I never sold it, which, you know, again, I was, I was close, I was close with comedy central and then they froze their budget and then they fired everybody. Um, and you know, it sucks and it's whatever, but like, there's a part of me that always knew in the back of my mind that this might be self-released. And my thought, my feeling is always from releasing videos on Instagram and YouTube, if it looks like it belongs on TV, people treat it like it was on TV exactly. or treat you like you belong, as opposed to if it's shot with a, you know, uh, right. an iPhone, <laughs> although iPhones at this point are better than most cameras. Um, so that was my biggest thing is I'm, I'm proud of the material. I, I, I just, I need to figure out how to make it look as good as possible. So then I saved up for it. I'm very fortunate that I self-released my two albums. You get money um, from it being played on Sirius XM. So I get royalties and I saved up all that money for two years so that I could make this. And um, I think the hardest part was like finding the venue, um, finding a crew. Um, I, I did a lot of stuff myself or I used friends. Like I, I refuse to cut corners in the sense of, um, how it's going to look or how it's going to come across. But, um, I had a lot of friends in the business that were able to give me deals or, uh, did stuff, uh, for free. So like one of my camera guys is my roommate. Another one is my roommate's uh, friend. He owns a red camera because he's a fashion photographer and videographer. Um, I did, I designed the set, but I like, I coordinated with a friend of mine that does, um, basically I, we kind of went back and forth as I kind of figured out what I wanted to do, but she's the type of person that, um, when you go to like Macy's and you see the displays, she like does displays for business. So she was somebody I talked to. And then the day, like a week before she's like, do you want me to come in early and like set it up? And I was like, I don't want to inconvenience you. She's like, I will. And now I'm like, I'm glad she did. She set it up better than I would have. I was stressed out of my mind. I learned a lot from things I wish I did differently. Like I wish I hired a producer the day of because I was, I was doing the job of like nine people while getting my makeup done while doing that. I was, I was stressed out of my mind. Um, there's definitely things I wish I did differently, but overall I'm really, I'm really happy with how it turned out and I'm happy with how it's being responded. Like the response I'm getting from it. Um, it was, truly one of the hardest things I've done to date. And what makes me happy is I have friends that might self-produce or friends that are even trying to figure out when they do get a special, how it's going to look and what they want to do. And I feel like I learned enough that I can help others. That's, that's that's awesome. nice. yeah. yeah. Uh, that is great. Um, it's the opening joke. I won't say the joke because I want people to watch it if they haven't, but they just, I was just like so mesmerized. The way oh, the opening yeah. joke, like it is great. Um, I do want to ask that so you talked about like um, YouTube and Instagram. How was it like when you um, when you moved from like one thousand followers to fifty thousand followers? Like it was it was overnight, right? Um, you know what's <laughs> crazy about that is is um, I slowly built up. I mean, I I was I just went for a walk. I don't know if you guys know Mike Kaplan. Um, he's a friend of mine, very funny, has a bunch of albums out. Um, I was, I went for a walk with him and I, I told him, I was like, I think in some ways 
I feel more connected to my fan base because I feel like I gained them one at a time. Like almost the same way you collect friends. Like it's like, I have some fans that have been around for 10 years where I'm like, Oh, that's Mike and Kira. Oh, that's Mark. Like, you know what I mean? I, I had these two sisters that were coming to shows like almost 12 years ago. Um, that I remember once they brought the brother and I was like, Oh, I didn't know you had a brother. I was like, why wasn't he at the last three shows? Come on, girl. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I really did build a fan base. I've been doing this for so long that I kind of built a fan base one by one and I slowly built up and then I would have little bursts. Like I had a video go viral five years ago called Feminist Sex Positions and I kind of had a burst um, via Facebook for the most part. And then um, I started to kind of have some traction a little bit. I was on TV here and there and I would have these little kind of bursts. But um, as of May of last year, I had 7,000 followers and then I, I've done a lot of research about social media. I probably read like 10 social media books. I took a PR class. I read, um, uh, uh, marketing books. Like I got really dorky into it because I felt, I felt overlooked and I felt, um, a lack of control because there were opportunities I thought I was good for and I was, I wasn't getting them whether I had a manager at the time or I didn't. And, um, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be my own manager. I'm going to, if the, if social media is all about being seen and having a manager is about people showing you, I'm just going to show people myself. And, um, I got really dorky into it so that when Instagram TV came out, I think about two years ago, I knew enough to know new, what do you call it? New features. Um, are always going to get more love because somebody, they spent Mm -hmm. money, they hired people, they spent all this money for the new feature that if they put it out, they think it has value and they're going to reward the early adopters of something they invested in. So, so I knew when I read an article that IGT was going to come out and it was going to allow you to have longer videos. I was like, well, that's great for me. I'm long winded as you can tell. Um, but, but, um, they're going to reward early adopters. And then the nice thing that we have is like, we're not doing Ted talks. We're telling jokes and it's, you get rewarded on a lot of these things for finishing the video and our punchlines are at the end. So we innately um, get rewarded for people finishing it. And it's easier for people to finish it because they know that the reward is at the end. So my IGTV, at first I was getting like 400 views. I would like max out at 400. I was like, Oh, this isn't working, but I know enough. I was like, it doesn't hurt me to continue to do it. So I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And then one video popped off. It got a hundred thousand. And the next thing you know, more and more started to pop off and I started getting 500,000. Uh, I just, one video, um, fuck Finland just got a million a couple of months ago. And that really like one video would get me 10,000 followers. Another video would get me 5,000. One video got me 20,000. And so that's really what it is, is these I've now have on YouTube and Instagram and now TikTok. Like I have a video that just went viral two days ago. It has, I think almost 700,000 views and I just got 10,000 followers in a day. Like, so, so my whole thing is, is, is being aware and, and doing some research and paying attention to trends, but then also uh, having stuff. I would like to think that's sticky and resonates with people. And that combination has gotten me these bursts of fans. So weirdly enough, it didn't, it did happen overnight in some ways. Cause I really like my YouTube and I, I had the foundation. I had 7,000 here and 10,000 there. Um, but even Instagram, like, or not Instagram, uh, TikTok, I joined TikTok 
two months ago, three months, no, more than that. Cause it was before your, let's say, let's say six months ago, just to be safe. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, here's me doing a handstand. I was like, I don't know what to do on this thing. I'm in my third, I'm 35 years old. Like, I'm like, what am I doing here? Um, just like a silly side note, by the way. So it is, a, it's more older people, but it's a lot of young people and they start to figure out what you like. So I mostly see cat videos and people making funny videos. That's on everything. I like cats. I like art. I like funny. So I see this girl, she's very young and she's doing like a weird dance. But in my mind, I'm like, they would never show me anything that's a dance. Cause I don't care about dances. It's going to be funny. And then I just watched this girl dance for a minute. And I was like, oh my God, I just watched a 17 year old girl <laughs> do like a titty, like do a titty dance. And I was like, I can't, I literally like threw my phone. I was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this app. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, I started doing it. I started putting my jokes on it. I made little sketches. I just didn't know what I was doing, but then I started to read a little bit more. I was seeing what other people are doing. I mostly just care about my stand up getting there. And, um, I had a video. I was, I remember this. I was in London. Some heckler interrupted me. I was super pissed. Um, they tape every video um, at this um, this club I love called Top Secret Comedy Club in London. And so they had the footage. I had it. I cut it up. Next day, I put it on. And my friend Maria, who I do the podcast with, she was like, so how does TikTok work? I was like, I haven't figured it out yet. I've had a video get like 10K, but I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm still, I was like, I think if you use trending hashtags, I'm like kind of giving her like this, I don't know, response. <laughs> I post it. I look at it an hour later. It has six views. I was like, see, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then I was staying with her, but she was sleeping at her boyfriend. So she goes to her boyfriend's. I go meet up with a friend. A couple hours later, I'm sitting in her apartment. I look at my phone. It has 200,000 views. I went up from 70 followers to 10,000 followers like in like two hours. And I was like, I, was, I literally texted her. I was like, I discovered TikTok. I figured it out. I know TikTok. I was like, well, I'm going to teach you everything I know about TikTok. Like I very immediately am like, I'm a pioneer. Um, I discovered TikTok. Um, so uh, to me, it's all about like experimenting and being kind of authentic in my work and then finding the best way to connect what I'm already doing with, with the audience. And I think we're all in a very unique place where you used to have to be on TV. You, used to, you have to be knighted by Conan and knighted by Letterman for people to get to see your craft. And that's not true anymore. If you, if people like what you do and you put it in the right filing cabinet with your little hashtags or what have you, or the right people retweet you, you, you can, you can find your audience on your own. And that's really has been, um, I, I mean, social media is evil. Uh, I'll, I won't fight that, but it's also the reason I have a career and I am, I'm really grateful. Right. Yeah. Tanvir and I were talking about that. Like, can you imagine if this quarantine had happened pre social media comedians would have just died off. Oh, dude, I, I think we, I, we're a very suicidal breed of people. I, I think we would, Naturally. we would lose a lot of people, including myself. I don't, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, that, that would have been very sad because then comedy would have just really have just died off and that would have been sad. Yeah, I think the Great Depression was really about how they didn't have Wi-Fi. I think that's really, <laughs> that you know, was, they, talk, that's what they talk about bread lines, but really it's about the lack of Wi-Fi. They didn't realize, <laughs> but that's what it's about. Uh, well, we definitely want to make sure that we talk about any upcoming projects. I know that my favorite cat pasta, uh, as I had to mention it at least once, just because yeah. Tanvir, I love cats. I'm a cat person. I would feel like I would love your parents. They're both vets. I love that. Like I've, everything about you is just like, this is just me. This is just my interview. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to mention, you, you mentioned on your podcast, Two Non-Doctors, which everybody should listen to. If you haven't heard it, it's amazing. Um, it, you might have a cat book coming out next year. Yeah. So it was supposed to come out in November, but uh, like 
some some issues plus COVID and like everything's being printed in China. It just kind of made everything um, with the publishing company kind of take a step back. So now it's coming out February of 2021. I also like took kind of two months off from touring in uh, December and January to write it. And then I was starting my tour in February. And now I really regret that I could have written the whole thing um, during quarantine. So that made me sad that I like, I didn't completely stop, but I definitely took a step back. Yeah. And now I deeply regret that. But, um, so it's all written. I'm actually working with an artist, uh, that I love who's making the cover and a couple of drawings, like 10 drawings for it. But it's like, I would say it's like, a what do you call it? Um, like a stocking stuffer. Like it's not like, it's not a table. It's not like a coffee table book where it's like six pictures or whatever. I would definitely say it's like you sit on the toilet and you read three pages. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but it's like, think like urban outfitters or like a papyrus book. I, people always ask me like, who is it for? And I'm like, it's for me. Like it's something someone (laughs) would buy. I always get cat books. and I'm like, this is awesome. Um, so it's, it's, it's written. It's, it's, a lot, but it's basically, it's called why cats are assholes. And it's, um, my, my, like me just kind of being funny about the history of cats and why I think cats behave the way they do. Some of it is scientific, but almost like two non-doctors, it's all like just us being idiots and having like a funny perspective to it. Um, it's just like weird stories about pasta. My sister's cat's name is avocado. I have some great avocado stories. Um, (laughs) I have a whole chapter on how to name your cats. I'm just like, if you're not naming them after food, are you even a good cat parent? Um, but yeah, well, one of my cats' name is Maria Von Pebbles, so I feel like you win. See, that's you would you would be a great example. I um, I and then well, the other thing I did is maybe like six months. No, I can All time is like in my mind, it's still like February. So maybe like eight months ago, I asked all my fans because I do Catterday every Saturday. Um, where I post, cause I get like, I've been telling people I'm a photographer now. Like I quit comedy. I take bodega cat pictures, but my boyfriend's used to it now. We went to Japan and like, he'd be talking to me and he's like, yeah, my mom's really sick. And I'm like, shut up about your mom. There's a kitten. Um, <laughs> so like every, like he's now used to it that like, he'll be walk, we'll walk past that. I'll see a bodega cat. He'll be like halfway down a block. I'm laying on the sidewalk taking like, like I'm in a safari <laughs> taking these cat pictures. Um, but I did the same thing, like everywhere we've been, I now like where I want to tour is based off where they have a lot of stray cats. Like, uh, Turkey had so many stray cats and dogs. And I just found one of my old, uh, Izmir pictures. And I was like, I'm brilliant. And nobody sees my talent. Um, (laughs) but, um, uh, did you put out a book of just cat pictures? Like just your catography? (laughs) You know what? I've thought about it. I don't think I'm famous enough yet to really mail in my career that way. But my best friend this year, I was going to post it on Saturday for my birthday. She went through my entire Instagram and pulled all my Catterday pictures and made like blank cards. So the card is literally like all these little squares of my cat pictures. And then on the back, it says uh, copyright Liz Mealy, cats of the world or something like that. And what's the saddest part about that is I could tell you, like, I saw that cat in Philly. That cat was in Italy. I met that cat in (laughs) Egypt. Like, it's like, I'm like, I couldn't tell you the names of people that helped me. But I can tell you, like, oh, that it was on that street. I had I had um, Kanafa wow. for the first time, and I met that cat. <laughs> <laughs> we bonded. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes me a bad person, but I I'm doing my best. Cats are great judges of characters. There's actually a study done that if your cat and your boyfriend did not get along, eighty percent of women would get rid of their boyfriend. So <laughs> I contest they're excellent judges of character. 
I agree with that. I'm a little, I'm in a, so my cat's been living with my mom for two years because I was traveling nonstop. And the only reason I haven't taken her back is my boyfriend is allergic to cats. And it's been a big problem in our relationship. Um, We go, we go upstate to my friend's farm every year. And I always, I throw him a Claritin pill, like a half hour before we get there. Like I'm like, we're going to go on an acid trip. And I go, there might be kittens, take this. And the first time we went, I didn't even realize this. I knew they had two farm cats or like barn cats. We get there. They must have had sex because there was 15 kittens. And I have this picture of my boyfriend. Literally, like he had, I had pictures of me with like a bouquet of kittens. I'm like holding six kittens at once. And then there's one where it's almost like butterflies. He's just like covered in kittens. And I was like, don't you want to take Claritin every day so we could have this? Like we could have this. This could be our babies. Like (laughs) (laughs) that was a relationship test. (laughs) Yeah. He passed it because he did a great job. And there was one that we call it sad eyes because it really did look miserable. It just looked like it was always about to cry. And he was like, I might need to get sad eyes. I was like, you should get sad eyes. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I really am like that kind of like, you should do drugs. Drugs are fun. Like, I love this. I love it. Well, we are getting ready to wrap up. So we we really want to thank you for your time. And everybody who has not checked out the special, check it out. It's amazing. It will change your life. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to sell it for what it is. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, uh, Follow Liz. If you don't already follow her, you can find her on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Before we end our shows, we usually like to ask one last question. When someone Googles you, what would you like your autocomplete to be? What is, oh, like that thing, the next thing yeah. that it says? Um, it says your name and then what? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, I don't even know how to answer that. It's probably, most likely, mm, I feel like I'm failing this. Um, <laughs> you can't fail. A, you can't fail. Liz, Liz, I tried it though. I don't want it to actually show I want to tell you right now. I, you know, I know what it says, which I think is Liz Mealy comedian, which, right. yeah. yeah, which in my mind is like, it sounds really, it's all I ever wanted. Like I, um, with Maria on the podcast, um, one of the things was like, one of our questions was, um, what, I don't think we aired this one yet, but it was like, what, what dreams did you have when you were a teenager that didn't come true and which ones did come true? And I was like, mine all came true, but mine were like, I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to have comedy friends. I wanted to be on comedy central. And like, I didn't think past that. And I was like, I did it. Like I did, I did it. And I, my goal was always to be funny enough and get far enough that I could go to comedy clubs without paying. That was really my big goal. So So would it be Liz Mealy Humblebrag? Uh, yeah right um but yeah I think honestly I the fact that I think that comes up I think I think there's a lot of pride in that like I'm like I did it I did I did the thing I said I was gonna do yeah that's that's amazing and everybody else everybody who has their dreams that's all they want right so that makes sense yeah and I Google didn't even like really be Google was barely a part of my life when I started so I feel like I'm like a future teller like I'm (laughs) (laughs) well thank you Liz we really appreciate your time uh we will um get everybody to watch your special because like I said it's amazing um we want to thank you for your time and we'll catch everybody later yeah thank you so much yeah thank you thank Thank you. you so didn't I tell you that's going to be a great, great story? Oh, my God. I just loved it. Thank you, Liz, for sharing that with us. This is absolutely lovely. Cool. Guys, that is Liz Mealy. Please, please check her comedy special, Self Help Me, on YouTube. The link is in the description. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Please make sure you like and subscribe. And if you really, 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 really like it, please share it with your friends, family, and enemies. My name is Mary Picarazzi. 
And I am Tan Vidarora. And this is Nobody, Nobody Meets Somebody. somebody. <laughs>